This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 181 of Texing, hosted by me and Jason. How you doing, Jason? Going for the uh, the simple. Yeah, I like it. Me and Justin. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's see what's uh, what's going on. I guess um, Sandy was out of town for uh, four or five days, so I just had all the kids to myself. I had to watch them mm-hmm. at, uh, by myself. Which, for anyone who has kids out there, watching three kids who are little is a nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, it's total chaos. <laughs> she got home and she's like, oh, "I'll bet you're glad I'm back." I'm like, hey, "Yeah." <laughs> so anyway, it's uh, that's why I'm running. That's why I was running late today. Oh, no worries, no worries. Uh, In the for listeners, they won't notice that you're running late, so it's not an issue. Right. Well, you know, with the time difference, so you're three hours ahead of me now, being in Savannah. And it's yeah. ten twenty your time, so I was trying to rush back, but I had the kids at the park, and you're trying to when you're trying to get kids. To leave the park, you can't you can't like schedule that to be a ten minute process. It's like a thirty minute extraction. <laughs> like you know, where's your you know shoes? Izzy takes off her shoes and can't find them, and you know whatever can't find their scooters. <laughs> so well, it's it's actually worked out better because I had a long lunch and four glasses of wine. So I've gone through the <laughs> the drunk phase. I've gone through the hangover phase. So now I'm just back. To a normal phase, right. so it's good. Oh, good, good. <laughs> so, um, so you got a beef with Yelp? I do have a beef with Yelp. Justin's got a beef. <laughs> <laughs> but now, but we we did discuss that last show, right? We did. So we won't go too into that. But what I what I did want to talk about was the fact that you're going to write an uh, an article about it. Yeah, I'm going to do a blog. So, um, it was it was suggested by Lance Jones and also yourself on the the comments of the last. Uh, last show but I, I i had already started writing that blog and i was already going to go for it yeah you know I, I i in the last show i think i was dissuading you from wasting too much time on it i thought that you know any time that you spend on it is probably end up going to just be wasted time uh, aside from allowing you some uh, emotional an opportunity to emotionally vent it's not really going to change anything so i thought you know you know, I thought it was just kind of best to use your time in another way. But, you know, I was talking offline with Guyon about it, and he kind of convinced me that, you know, if you wrote a, a blog post about it and, and didn't just kind of bitch about, you know, this moving company, but talked about the importance of a uh, an accurate um, uh, review system and how how when things go bad when it doesn't work how things can go really bad and it's not just like oh i bought a 20 dollar book that i'm disappointed in or i went to a chinese restaurant that i thought would be better speaking but the stars were a little off so you know i'm a little annoyed but y- you know you lost thousands of dollars and oh two two thousand dollars no furniture in the house for a month and a week actually almost a month and two weeks and they lost two boxes yeah well that's a big deal i mean that's really <laughs> <laughs> that's a big deal i mean it's not it's it's not at the level I'm going to get an attorney and sue you, but it's um that's a that's a big deal. So I you know I I I tend, I've I've come around. I Gown kind of convinced me that it's worth an article, and I, and I think I think that if you wrote an article and really kind of address the core problem, which is is which is that of a of these sort of crowdsourced 
review systems and how um, how they can be gamed and, and and all that sort of stuff and 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 why it's important to fix them and how ideas on how they might be fixed. And then just using your, your experience as a case in point of, of the importance of, of, uh, of fixing them. It's, it's, dif- it's just to say, oh, crowdsourced review systems are to blame. I mean, it, it isn't really that. It's, it's the implementation of the crowdsourced review system. I mean, Yelp in specific have decided to create a review system whereby they suppress reviews from anyone who doesn't look like a real user on the system. So that's their implementation of it. And then they've decided to put the put it in a filters page with a filters link that's like 11-point font and that's very light gray and, and impossible to see. And when you click that link, it brings up a capture that's what, the hardest capture I've ever had to enter. Like, I keep on getting it wrong whenever I try and enter it. Like, these are the decisions that Yelp have made. But I'm sure that other, um, you know, crowdsource review systems are pretty pretty successful. I'm sure that there are some successful ones. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you could argue that uh, Amazon's review system works pretty well. I mean, as we, as we talked about in the past show, I mean, I think there are a lot of reviews up there that are that are weak in the sense that you can tell the person to even read the book that, mm. you know. No, but you could, it's very easy to see what the fake reviews are and what, what the real ones are because they've got things like real name. They've got things like verified buyer. You know, they, they have a whole, a whole bunch of um, simple verif- just simple verification techniques that just say, yeah, this is like a certified user. Okay. Yeah, you know, it, it was, it's really funny. Um, I just had a, a long conversation with my brother about this issue. So he has, a, he has a startup. He didn't want me to go too into detail about it um, because they're still sort of in, um, you know, not stealth mode, but they're still in development. And it's the, uh, the, the problem they're trying to solve is that of, of online credentialing. And when we were, he, he, it happened that he was in San Francisco uh, the same time I was uh, about a month ago, and we met up for dinner, and he was explaining it to me over dinner, and I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> He's like, okay, so you have like providers and consumers and, and creden- issuers, and then you exchange credential. I'm like, I don't get it. What? <laughs> I really don't understand what you're talking about. Like, what problem are you solving? It was so meta. It was so... It mm-hmm. was so abstract that I just didn't get it. It was like someone explaining why you, about explaining API like web APIs, like RESTful APIs in like nineteen ninety four. Like I, well, I just I, don't get what you're talking about. And uh, oh, what were you gonna say? Yeah. Well, what I was gonna say is that this pitch I've I've heard this pitch this uh, a recurring pitch since ninety five. Uh-huh. Basically, let's build a website where people can go and validate themselves and then other people can use that website to find out if it's a validated person. I, like, and I think the problem with it is, is it's so unconsumer oriented. That's the problem. Yeah. So I, the, the one thing that one of the suggestions that I made was that, you know, obviously focusing on a, on a real concrete problem, um, real basic problem. And I actually use your example, the, your Yelp, you know, moving problem, which is that, you know, how do you do, credentialing so that um, crowdsourced reviews can work or work better, can mean something. It's like, it's got to pull from somewhere beyond just Yelp. Amazon's got to pull from somewhere beyond just Amazon. It's got to be like a way of like, people can build up their credentials when they have a combination of, you know, I don't know, eBay credentials, Yelp, LinkedIn, Facebook, what Twitter, whatever, you know, verifiers. And you can obviously have even more powerful validations, like if you had uh, universities and, and things like that, or companies that you work for have like a way of validating through some neutral um, uh, mm. credential observer. 
But uh, anyway, I, it was, it's, it's sort of like OpenID, but for for credentials. And I'm sure that there are projects out there doing this, but it's just it it just doesn't take off. And and the reason why it doesn't take off is because it's just like you said. It's it's like it feels like a technology looking for a, a problem. <laughs> That's the exact know? thing I said to him. I said, you're a, you're a technology looking for a problem. And I've, I've run into a lot of people like that, a lot of cool projects and really smart people who are thinking years ahead, but they can't dumb it down enough to solve a problem that other people have right now and are willing to pay for. And I said, you know, if you can, you know, I had some other ideas and I don't want to go into them now because I don't think he would want me talking too much about them. But the, the one of them was the one of them was the example of, of your situation. I think like, you got to if you could solve that problem, that would be a big deal. Or if you could provide the infrastructure for somebody to solve that problem, whatever it is. But um, this problem has to be solved. And as you said, it's not it's not the fact that crowdsourced reviews or, or crowdsourced voting like on Reddit and Hacker News can't work. But they're so easily gamed that they render them highly suspect, if not useless. Well, in Yelp's case, it's not even gaming. I mean, they've just screwed themselves over. I mean, they've just done it badly. <laughs> so it's not like they're gaming themselves. Actually, I was I was wondering, right? Is I mean, I, I, I'm just going to say this, and and it's probably like once again not not a very sensible thing to say, but I was wondering. Are Yelp trying to do this on purpose? Are they, are they trying to take dollars from one part of the value chain? In other words, all the people who are losing the money and bring it to Yelp by having better reviews and generally more five-star reviews and therefore get more advertising on their site because more companies will advertise on their site. Yeah, that's actually um, another, uh, the second part of the conversation I had with Guyon the other day. After he convinced me that it was worth you writing an article about it, he convinced me that I was probably wrong that it was in Yelp's best interest to have upwardly biased reviews, um, that it was probably in their, long their long-term best interest to have as accurate of a review system as possible. And yeah. his argument, if, I can, if I'm able to you know, uh, paraphrase it in the right way, was Well, this, you're never going to be as eloquent as Guy no, but give it a go. <laughs> he's English, for one. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, he essentially was saying that, like, you know, you lose you lose credibility any time that you recommend something and it turns out to be good, or you say something sucks and it turns out to be great. You know, and it, it, mm -hmm. think of it in a simple case: if I tell you you got to go to this restaurant, it's great, or you got to read this book, or you got to see this movie, and you know, if my if my recommendations tend to suck, you just stop believing me. You're like, yeah, just whatever. You know, Jason says that restaurant's good, which means it probably sucks, so let's just skip it. <laughs> you know, yeah. and. I, that same goes it, so it, what goes for an individual person that will works in a bigger system so if yelp if yelp's review system is providing no value people aren't going to use it and they're not going to go to yelp the reason people go to yelp for the most part beyond just maybe finding some basic information like where is this place located but you could pretty much find that on google anyway if you just type into google it'll pop up you know all that where it's located and the hours of operation and stuff tend to pop up the 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 real issue is the review system so it is probably ultimately in its best interest to have the most accurate review system as possible. So I don't think, unless someone, unless someone could come up with the comments why that, they can come up with a good argument why that's not true. I think Guyon is right. I think accuracy beats upwardly biased in the alarm. But it's not that just that the reviews suck. <laughs> it's that they're costing people millions of dollars a year, cumulatively. <laughs> I mean, you know, like my, my case in point, you, you've just got to extrapolate that. Even just this one co company, I mean, surely must be costing... $100,000 a year 
the people just just getting scammed. That's true. That's so. So um, the 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 movers. So so the, I told you they lost two boxes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the guys who so this this company basically subcontracts out all their work. Ah. Uh, and um, the movers who came here basically said to me, I said, "There's, you know, you're missing two boxes." And they said, "Well, to be honest with you, sir, we had such a big argument with the people who gave us this stuff to transport that we actually left without fully checking the inventory. We were so angry with them because they they basically stiffed us on the amount of money that they promised they were going to give us." Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so I was like, I mean, I, 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 I don't even know where, where to begin. And, and looking through all the, all the papers that, 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 that I signed, and obviously, you know, I'm an idiot for signing these papers. I, sh- I should have very detailed, you know, in a very detailed fine tooth comb, gone through the 16 pages of fine print. But ultimately, what it comes down to is that they charge they say that they charge 80 cents a pound to ship or whatever mm-hmm. i don't know that anyway they refund 60 cents a pound of anything lost is right is is what they get so basically i will get if those two boxes are lost i will get about 23 dollars what was in the boxes plates and glasses and stuff but it doesn't matter it goes on weight it doesn't even matter no but it i mean like how much did you lose in value by losing those plates and uh, I guess probably a couple of hundred dollars. Okay. But, but the good thing is for, for an hour, I thought that one of the boxes that was lost was a box that contained my recently deceased father's final belongings, wow. the stuff that I have to, to, to kind of remember him by. And I was like for an hour, I was so depressed because I just, cause I was, I could have sworn I wrote on the box that that was, that, that was the one that had his stuff. Right. And then, and then we went through them, we opened everything up, and I was so happy to see that that stuff was actually in one of those boxes marked electronics. Right, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so I, was, I was even more pissed for an hour. But then afterwards, when it was just plates and, and glasses, I'm like, oh God, well, it's just plates and glasses, you know. Right, right. But, so it's, so in, it worked, that works in their favor, that I'm happy that that was all that was lost. Right. So what are you, um, what are you going to uh, address in the article? You have it done or you just, you just sort of have some notes? No, I do. I do have some notes. Um, basically, you see, it's, it's, it's kind of delicate, right? Because I, I really want it to go big. I want it to go viral. So to bring some pressure, because the, the minimum thing that I want to happen out of this is for those reviews to be released for this company. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the, now, the company is Royal Transportation north hollywood right you can google that and the yelp the yelp thing is like one of the first things that comes up and you'll see that that it's just got two five-star reviews and all the bad reviews are hidden right so um i i was really just going to talk about just well i was thinking about maybe the, the kind of open letter format um and I was going to just basically starting about the fact they've got a problem. It's a, it's a filter problem. Mm-hmm. I know it because it cost me $2,000. And even worse, I ended up living in a house with no furniture for an entire month. Um, however, I, I do understand what they're trying to do, that, that they have a filter to suppress and hide all the reviews that look dodgy. Uh, but, but the problem is their filter suppresses reviews from drive-by reviewers who sign up and post once, but are real people even though they don't look like people. And just basically explain that I do understand what they're trying to do, but then highlight this use case 
which is, I would imagine, a very common use case across their entire system. Do, do they have any way of allowing you to validate yourself, kind of like how Amazon does the real name stuff? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I haven't gone and written my review yet. I wanted to get everything here first. Right. Know? Yeah, because well, have you? do you know how Amazon's real name uh, system works? I don't, but I do know how um, with, with PayPal... PayPal have the same kind of thing, you know, it's like a verified buyer or verified seller. And and the way that they do that is they'll they'll give you a call and you have to type in a code. So that's one level of verification. Then they'll deposit some money in your account and you type in that code and that kind of is another level of verification. verification. Well, so I think maybe Amazon does the same. That was kind of like what we had to do for Start SSL when we set up our SSL certificate for Anyfo. Yeah. So yeah. one of the, we, we were able to get, I think you can get the SSL certificate without any extra verification. But then if you want to work towards getting an extended validation certificate, which is what we want to get ultimately, you had to get personal personal verification. So I had to send them, fill out a bunch of information. But that's so much work. You don't want that for a yeah. site like Yelp. No, I know. I know. I'm yeah. just saying. So that I had to fax in or I had to scan. or te- no, I took digital photos of my driver's license and my passport and emailed them. And they called me, and I don't know, it was a lot of back and forth. It's kind of a pain, but, you know, obviously that's an extreme uh, verification I, process. I think, I think the very least they should do is, like, they should have different levels of verification, right? So one is, like, that you've confirmed your email. Obviously, they've got that, you know. Next is that they phone you, right? And then next is that they deposit some money in a bank account. Because at the end of the day, it's only going to cost them a cent or a couple of cents to, to ACH that money over, and then that's going to verify you. Right. Right, you know, right. Um, so, the, for just the final things that I'm going to put in that blog post uh, are some pictures of the site to show that it to show that it has the you know, it looks like a great company with five star reviews, and to show that it has the twelve hidden reviews, and then like click in and then see what people write. It's unbelievable. In fact, what they write it seems it seems so bad. It's just it seems unbelievable. Right. That's the thing. You can't believe even that a company could be so bad. Right. Right. So. That's, what do you do? That's interesting. It's it's so bad that people can't believe it. the lie. You know, it's like the lie is so extreme that it has to can't be true or something like that. Anyway, so so yeah. Rest assured, I will I will be taking taking this to task, and I I will try and get some pressure on Yelp to at least re- release those reviews for that company. Um, and I think that's enough about that. Let's talk about Plugio, which finally I have after I guess. Starting on February 1st was when I really started hacking away on it. Mm-hmm. I finally got it to a point where I've now sent an email out to 130 customers. Please check it out. She, you know, help me bug test it. Wow. So that's just, oh, I'm just so happy about that. Congratulations. And if, if, <laughs> yeah. And the design is just unbelievable. Um, Mike Garvey from Company 52 did the design. Um, and he's, he's an awesome designer because he's one of these guys who doesn't, doesn't just kind of absolutely force it. It's not like it's my way or the highway with him. Like he really works with you as a, as a customer. And I guess I'm, even though I work with company 52, you know, he's my customer. So no, you're, went his backwards. Cust- you're his customer. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, okay. I'm just saying so. Anyway. So, um, like he, he really worked with me and I, you know, I would throw back stuff back at him and say, Oh, well, it just, it's still not feeling quite professional enough. It's still not feeling as, as good as something Apple would do, you know? And so we kept on going backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards until we came with something that, that is just so refined and, and beautiful, in my opinion. And you can see that if you go to plug.io, so P-L-U-G-G dot I-O. 
and um, just check it out. Look at that design. Look at that sales site. And then if you want to, if you've got a Plugio account already, um, just log in and then have a play around. So it's did he get really nice. uh, did he get frustrated with all the back and forth? No, he didn't. I mean, that, that's that, that's what I'm saying. Like he he's I, I you know I wouldn't say ego less, but I would just say of any designer I've ever worked with, you, you can just keep on pushing stuff back to him and just say, look, I really want to try and get this better. And one thing that we did that was really that worked so well was we went through the mood board process. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, with the mood board, he didn't, really he didn't really create very much. He created a few things, but he took a lot, he took a lot of screenshots of other things, but not just um, other websites, other things. Braun especially, he was, he was really uh, drawn to Braun. Um, you know the manufacturer Braun? No. What do they make? Okay, so Braun are like a, like a, I guess like a 90s, a very successful 90s company, Irish company. Sorry, German company. And they make things like clock radios, uh, record players. How, and they had a certain, how do you spell it? B-R-A-U-N. They made shavers and they had a very certain design ethic. They, Braun were like the original Apple. Huh. You know, it's like, it's like if, if you think about the way that Apple has all those clean lines now, Braun had like a kind of retro version of that back in the nineties. I see. Right. So he took, he, he got loads of pictures of that, put it on a mood board and that was like, Oh, and, and also he put some pictures of star Wars, right? The star Wars masks, you know, like a, a stormtrooper, <laughs> Right. Right. So there were certain things on that mood board that I was like, yeah, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. But then what I did was I marked out with a, with a, like just a little red square the, the small components of each thing that I really, really liked. So for example, on the, even though I didn't like a lot of the Braun stuff, there was certain knobs and dials that I liked. There was certain corners. So of, of this whole mood board that was, I don't know, like 1500 pixels or whatever, I probably marked off about 400 pixels of different things, just tiny things that I thought were really nice. Mm -hmm. That was a defining moment in the design. He then came back because he got a really clear idea of what I was looking for. He's like, oh, you really like that kind of shadow. You really like that kind of line. You really like this kind of thing. Like I just had, I just marked off a tiny little curve of the Stormtrooper mask. Like I didn't like the Stormtrooper mask in general, but you know what? There was this one gradient that it had that I thought was awesome. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. So he then came back with something that was so tight, you know, really, really nice. Yeah, I think it looks great. I have to, I have to say, it's, 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 it's a whole different level than the, your, your previous version. So That's high praise from you, because you, you are notoriously diff difficult to impress with the design. <laughs> hard to please. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean to be hard to please, but I guess I am. Yeah. I like it. I think it's good. I, I think, well, it's been a lot of work, so I think, it, I think it came out with something that's really, really first class. I love the, uh, I love the sort of the sales site version with the, the, yeah, I guess the, I don't know, the um, social proof pieces they have in the yeah. middle of that stuff, and the, um, the pricing, um, what do you call the pricing uh, segments? We have the three different... The, the pricing matrix. Pricing yeah, matrix, they, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And, you know, that's, I think that's probably one of the best ones of those I've seen, the best pricing matrix. Good. Well, now, well, now how, how far are you from actually getting the fully working new version of the site up? Well, so one thing that's, that's become apparent is scaling. Okay. So as customers have got more data on the system, well, you know, we, we, you know, we moved the database off to its own server. Mm -hmm. So that's now on a four gig server, but uh, I've, I've just realized that there is, 
it, it's doing a lot. It's it's got a lot of cron jobs running. It's doing just a lot of stuff. This server, even if there aren't customers on it, like every minute, it's checking RSS feeds, it's checking followers, it's checking scheduled posts and all this stuff. So what we, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to do, um, I would say, a week's worth of optimization in terms of scaling. So that one one two gig server that's doing all the front end stuff, we're probably going to split it off and we'll create just an RSS server and and optimize that whole RSS thing because it's you know what it's pretty it's pretty costly like um, it's pretty resource intensive pulling down RSS feeds wow parsing them and storing them you know. Um, so basically we need to do a, a lot of optimization. We'll probably, um, add, we'll probably create a scenario where we have like a batch of 256 meg servers running NGINX that are just really light and just have the very front end. And then each of those are speaking to a cluster of backend services. Wow. That's a, that, yeah, that's, that's, a that's a much more complex backend you had before, right? Well, we used to run on one server. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it has to, but it has to be because. You know, we're, we're essentially what we're saying is we're, we're taking on the big boys now, right? We're moving into the Hootsuite, uh, te- you know, territory. Right. And if, if we're going to compete with these guys, it's just, it's just embarrassing if people come onto the system and it's really slow. <laughs> you know? Well, I think, I think that's been a lesson that's been learned over and over again is that speed kills. You know, either way, yeah. it kills in terms of it's a really competitive advantage if it's really fast, but it also kills you if it's slow. People just throw yeah. their hands up and are like, forget it, this is too annoying or whatever. I mean, sometimes, I mean, every site has its moments of slowness or when it goes down and, you know, people forgive that. But if, if it happens on any kind of regular basis, people will just kind of give up and move but on. But I also think that the old version of Plugio, you could be more forgiving of the speed because it looked like a clunky old car right mm. <laughs> but now it looks like a ferrari and you just you know there's just no way you can put up with it because it it looks too good to be slow right so they might think it's actually what broken that's it yeah so, exactly they'll just they'll just be like well this this is this is ridiculous right yeah. so if something looks really good it better perform well otherwise people just assume that there's a bug i think so i mean maybe that's just me i mean i'm interested to hear what other people think I don't know. Well, cool. Well, that's great, man. I'm that's, I'm excited for you. Hopefully, this will turn into uh, a whole different level for our, your revenue too. You'll go from you've been sort of tre- sort of treading water at thirty five hundred yeah. a month. For, yeah, I don't know how long. Six months or eight months or whatever. Well, but but the thirty five hundred I got there after MicroConf last year. Mm-hmm. So I I hadn't got to that level. Like MicroConf gave it another push up to the 3,500. I think I was at 2,500 when I went to MicroConf. Um, but the, the, another great thing about getting to this place is that that kind of madness that I've had about it is finally gone. I, I feel a massive weight lifted off my shoulders and I can, I can time slice now and go back in and do some of the hardcore Anyfu stuff that we need to get done. So right. I'm feeling good about that as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, it's that's yeah, it's good stuff. All right. All right. So uh next topic. Um what else sure. what else you got? Well, hey, 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 hey. We we, uh, we <laughs> This is a Justin we're, show. We no, last show was a Justin show. <laughs> I like we're, that. We're half an hour in now. Come on, you got you 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 go. I like the new that you, we can't shut that guy up version of you. <laughs> <laughs> you know why? That's since I've grown my hair. All right, you just feel more It's talking. like Samson. <laughs> Like Samson with the hair. Yeah. Takes the pressure off. I'm kind of playing your role. Just sit back and go, huh, sounds good. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Come on. You have must. A, oh, well, have a, should, we, we do have a, um, we do have a shout out. Uh, well, actually not just a shout out. We've got a $50 donation. Nice. All right. Well, let's hear about it. From Andrea Conti. 
Andrea Conti. That sounds really familiar. Who is that? Looking forward to seeing you guys at MicroConf. Do we know her now, somewhere, or does she? Well, I, th- I, th- I think we. I think we do know know from from um from maybe previous MicroConf. Now you know what's interesting. We've had we. we I'm assuming this Andrea is a girl, right? Andrea, it's Andrea, right? Yeah, A N D R E A. Uh, it's not Andre. Maybe it's Andre. A A N T R E A. I don't know. Andrea. Well, in England, uh, that's that's Andrea. A N. Oh, look at it. Let's ask the Goog. What does the Goog tell us? The Goog says. Well, I'm looking. Okay, I'm looking at Wikipedia right under under A N D R E A, and the first thing I say is the first thing it says is notable people named Andrea, and it says American actress, American actress, um, American actress, spelled, American actress. Spelled A N D R E I. Yeah, there's 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 there seems to be. Well, you, you're you're saying it like this an A, Andrea, uh, uh, like A N D R E A. Oh, I thought you said E I. No, no. Oh. So, but, but as it so happens, about 50% of people on that page are males and 50% are females. So anyway, we've got to stop talking about this because it's like so boring. We've spoken <laughs> about the same thing for the last two minutes. But look, all I, the point I just wanted to make was that we have had some, e- I think we've had three emails from females. That's never happened before in the two years that we've been on the show. Yeah, I thought we had approximately zero female listeners. Yeah. Now I think we've got three. If if this proves to be a uh, a female, I don't know what that says about us. <laughs> that's, that's that's probably good. You know, yeah. that's probably good. Uh, there, you know, there may be there may be uh, more than three. It's just that uh, you know, that's just they just don't comment. They just don't comment. They don't bother send an email. Um, but uh, anyway, so so um, and Andrea Conti says, look forward to seeing you guys at MicroConf. Yes, we're we're looking forward to seeing you. And then says, what part of the show is the beginning of the show what do you mean well, as, yeah that's, i don't get it what part of the show is the beginning of a show the intro i don't the intro yeah the intro is the beginning of a show i guess i mean or or unless she's talking about the music or the uh the when the, when you have my daughter saying this this show is distributed by soundcloud oh yeah okay maybe maybe she means that but uh, um Jason's daughter says this show is distributed by SoundCloud. Dot com. Oh, yeah. Right. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my two daughters. Actually, what we did is we took, um, we took samples from both of my two daughters saying, saying it, and we kind of mashed them together because yeah. neither of them could pronounce most of the words that well. But as it turned out, each could, could pronounce a couple of the words uh, sufficiently well. So you just kind of... <laughs> It's a funny. T- I have I have the reel, and it's funny because it's like Jason say, say this, this, say this, this, say this. <laughs> no, it's this. Like, say so we got we just got one word at a time. <laughs> say SoundCloud. Say SoundCloud. SoundCloud. And then they go SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So look, come on, Jason. What 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 have you got to talk about? What do I got to talk about? I guess we should. You want to do the any foo section? It's going to be short. Go. Uh, okay. Good. Well, we'll do their any foo, any foo segment. Um, yeah. So, well, you know, before we get to that, let's talk, let's talk uh, MicroConf for a minute. Oh, I'm totally looking forward to MicroConf. You know, because last year, I think there was something in the neighborhood of maybe 10 to 12 texting listeners. Mm-hmm. Would you say? 10, yeah. Maybe 15, maybe 15 at the most, somewhere between 10 and 15. Um, and uh, so that's 10 to 15% of the, uh, of the attendees. 
And I think there's going to be more this year. So it kind of felt like it was like a little bit of a tech zinc conference, <laughs> a little subconference. Subconference. Well, you know how like subcon- you know how conferences will sometimes have like um you know like there will be certain it will be consist of like different segments or different different technologies that are kind of you know day one is really about this sub technology within that falls under the umbrella of the overall conference. And I think we kind of had like it's like a mini it's a mini Texing conference. So what we'll do is we'll do another Texing dinner. On the, I'll tell you what, Rob Walling and Mike Tabor should watch out. We're going to take that thing over from the inside out. <laughs> like a parasite? <laughs> yeah. It takes over the host. We don't wanna, no, but what's, you know what's going to happen? They're going to charge us next year. Yeah, they probably will. We, we deserve to be charged. We're just, we do. just like all parasites. But, yeah. uh, you know, well, see, the thing was, I think last year we, they needed our help to, to, to spread the word. You know, because I think they were a little nervous that they were going to be able to fill fill all the slots, right? Well, they yeah, I mean, they 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 didn't have very many um, people that actually quoted texting, but I'm sure that some people did hear the sh- hear because of the show. You mean the first year? Yeah, the first but year. But this yeah. year they sold out really quickly, so it wasn't an issue. Yeah, I don't I don't even well, know if it was anything to do with texting because honestly, we didn't really mention it, and they were already sold out by the time we were ready to start mentioning it. Well, last year you were comped because you were a speaker. Yeah, and you were comp because you were my, I guess, my buddy. <laughs> I drove you to Vegas <laughs> with your driver. <laughs> yes, right. and I was, they, they, they come, but then I, I got to come to the speaker's dinner. I was the only person at the speaker's, maker, speaker's dinner who wasn't a speaker. So yeah. uh, now this year, you're not speaking. Um, so we're just, I think, I think uh, we're just giving spots for just because uh, they like us. I, we're, we're like, I think we're just, give, we're just giving spots because we asked. Yeah, you asked. I was I like, asked. you really asked for that? <laughs> I guess next year we'll be paying. But you know what? That's fine because we'll be rich enough yet next year to pay. I mean, see, we're not, we're not like Mike like, or, or Rob. Like, where, you know, these guys are rich. These guys have made a lot of money, right? I would, still, no, they're not rich. <laughs> well, they're, they're, I'm just saying, like, you know, we don't have 10 successful micro-businesses under our belt yet, do we? No, but I, would, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't uh, call, you know, Rob and Mike Rich, though. I, I mean, I take that. So, so it's not like comping us is like no problem. You know, it's like it's a little bit of an ask. So, okay. but I think, you know, they obviously um, at least I don't know how far Mike is in that. I mean, Mark, Mike still does consulting work and stuff. Rob, Rob is to the point, of course, where he doesn't have to work. So, I mean, he's he's well off. He's financially he has cash flow to make it so that he's financially independent, but um, he's completely loaded. He's he's living a fantastic life. Oh, he's living the best life of anyone I've well, ever this, met. This harks back to our. Um, he only has a four day work week. I think it's a two day work week. Oh, <laughs> we were giving him a hard time because he was complaining about going to a four day work week. Remember? Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, four days. Oh, we're gonna get a bit. I think we're gonna get a big post from from Rob. On <laughs> we remember show. we were giving him a hard time because he said he worked <laughs> was dark outside. Yeah. <laughs> Like, really, you worked into the evening? Wow, that's pretty tough. It's hard living. But um, okay, so what did you want to say about microcom? Well, uh, this show's weird. We're just rambling about nothing. Yes, yeah, because I don't have like any links. So <laughs> All right, it's gonna okay. be one of those shows. Um, right. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited. I mean, it's, the, these speakers are always good. Right? I mean, last year we had you know like Heaton Shaw and and um, Ramit and I, you know Patrick McKenzie. I mean, we had great great uh, great speakers. Um, but my favorite part was definitely the dinner, of the texting dinner. 
Oh yeah. Far. Well, that's what we look at. That's what I'm looking forward to. So that's that's what I, I can't wait. So what I what I'm hoping is any of our listeners who are going to microconf, please send us an email. I'd like to like sort of have a list of people so you know we'll know who to expect and and everything. I mean, because a lot of times what we'll do is people email us and it's like it takes me a minute to remember the previous email, the previous exchanges we've had. You know, because if I don't have a face and it's just a name, um, it's harder to put it in. So it'd be it'd be nice if I can kind of like <laughs> have a list like, okay, yeah, I know this guy, I know this guy, and now I know the conversations we've had, so I know who it is. Um, it'd be kind of cool to have a kind of a look at. And then, of course, we also know how many people we're having dinner for. And also, on your badges with, with, an, with um, a permanent Sharpie, don't forget to write texting. <laughs> <Right. laughs> uh, no, don't, no, don't do that. That'll definitely get us kicked out of the conference. Yeah, so this is, uh, yeah, so this will be cool. I think it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, that's it. That's pretty much all I'm saying. That, this is what, next weekend, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm actually flying there too. So you, Last year we drove because you still lived in LA, and then um, when you when you moved to Savannah, I was like, "Well, there's no way in hell I'm going to drive to Vegas by myself because that's just too boring. It's a five hour drive to the desert." So luckily, mm-hmm. I found like a flight that was like hundred and twenty dollars or something like that. Oh, lucky for you, one six hundred and fifty. Was it one twenty? I always thought it was even cheaper than that. It was so cheap I couldn't believe it. One hundred and eighteen or something. And then of course the rooms right. at the Hard Rock um, Hotel are really cheap too. Because but what are you going to do for where are you going to leave your car? I'm not. I'm flying. So Sadie's going to drop you off at the airport. Oh, oh, I'm going to leave my car. Well, like, yeah. Well, it's like, yeah. See, I can fly to Burbank, which is a small airport. It's not you know LAX is a nightmare because you get a park in long-term parking and then you got to take a shot so you're flying so you're going from burbank are you yeah so the, the way way burbank works is one of these little, little kind of these small little airports and i can just drive up to valet valet is 20 dollars a day but i can really i can drive up and it's it's like you're driving up to a restaurant valet it's so easy i just walk up the guy hands me a ticket we give each other five <laughs> high five you know, whatever. <laughs> and i grab my stuff out of hit him up throw my keys grab my bag and i'm out and then i walk across the street and i'm in the terminal and then i oh, usually nice. nobody in line for security walk up you, you wake the guy up at tsa go hey wake up come on through <laughs> you know he mm-hmm. looks at your id walk through and it's so it's no headache at all um and uh yeah so if i had to fly to lax man that, it's almost worth driving it's such a pain you know, to drive, to drive, you know, it depends on the traffic. I mean, it could take like an hour and a half if you have traffic and long-term parking and all that. Yeah. And then well, that's great. You got such cheap tickets from, you know, Burbank, such a, it's kind of a, like the local Los Angeles airport. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, and like one of the big wins in addition to the fact, like I said about the valet parking being so cheap and so convenient is that there's no, there's no TSA line. Like if you go to LAX, you could still stand in line for a half hour, 45 minutes. You know, there's been times recently where, you know, just ridiculous lines. But kind of reminds me how it was back after, you know, 9-11. After the few months. Did you see that those machines, those those like scatter, the, the, the patent scatter machines? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Are basically, they're, they're illegal in Europe. Right, because of the radiation or something? Yeah. yeah. Well, just because I guess they're just untested or whatever. Yeah, well, what's oh. this guy... Chertoff, who used to be the head of uh, Homeland Security, is on the board. Is on the border. One of the directors or something of of the company that makes these things. So it's pretty shady. And he's going around talking yeah. about how you know we need these things. I mean, it just shows the revolving door that's between government and um, and businesses. Is just kind of it just creates a real it just creates corruption. You know, so it's like hard yeah. to say. I mean, it's like 
you know, when people like that come through and then they go around lobbying Congress and talking about how, you know, these machines have to be in all the airports and then all of a sudden they start showing up at all these airports despite the fact that every, you know, the public is really pissed off about it. But yet nothing happens. They still keep getting put in airports and then kind of untested. And then I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it was kind of hard to, to vet this stuff because, like, at first you hear they're safe and then you hear people come out and say, you hear like there's some studies that say it's not safe and then you hear some studies that say it is and you know i don't know i didn't do enough research to find out like what was the real truth behind it hey this is this is like totally kind of tangential but if you listen to no agenda right they'll they're they always talk about this and another thing they always talk about is that there's there's no real science for global warming you know they they basically make fun of the fact that the science is in you know the world is doomed global warming I'm curious, like, what's your thoughts? Like, do you think that global warming is a thing or no? You know, it's kind of funny. So I've gone back and forth on it in different ways. So, like, my initial reaction was I was definitely a firm believer just because it was a consensus from the scientific community, right? So when the scientific community is behind something, I mean, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good bet, generally speaking, right? Yeah. To, 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 to bet against the scientific community, I mean, you better know what the hell you're talking about are they you better have a you know a lot of uh, uh you know you, you better be an expert yourself in some way because it just seems that i mean you know i know people complain about that there is uh, there are problems with you know in the peer reviewed, reviewed journals and there are it, you know nothing's perfect but overall it's a pretty good system for yeah. getting the truth not that science doesn't get overturned over different times whatever but then I remember reading some stuff by uh, Free, uh, Freeman Dyson, and he he's a big deal physicist, mathematical physicist, mathematical physicist. I think was his specific field. He he um, um, developed the mathematics that unified. Uh, I believe was the um, the subject of quantum electrodynamics, which is what got uh, Richard Feynman and uh, the Nobel Prize along with uh, this Japanese physicist. And I think there was one other person. So he unified their two or three different approaches to this this uh, branch of physics with a, with a really sophisticated mathematical model. So this guy's a super genius. Freeman Dyson is like a von... What did he say about global warming? He says, the, he says basically it's uh, the, their models that these guys are, um, are building, or the or stuff is relying on, that they're, 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 they're not that believable. That he's just saying, I understand hmm. their models. Because this guy's an expert in that kind of stuff, in ve- developing sophisticated models. Like he was um, a part of uh, the Project Orion, which was, uh, which is, I think it was late 40s, early early 50s. I think it was in the 50s. No, actually, maybe it was later. Than that. It was later in the 50s. And um, there was a group um, that of scientists, it was kind of like a mini Manhattan project where they were trying to figure out how to get a lot of uh, get to the other planet, travel to other planets. Like it's very difficult to get to Mars or Venus or whatever with rockets, much less any substantial amount of cargo and or people. And so they came up with this way of actually exploding a series of nuclear bombs to thrust hmm. something that was like the size of a small city practically, and it could travel wow. around. It was called Project Orion. It was actually this is sort of a funny, uh, you know, I guess trivia, but um, it was the first book that Jeff Bezos reviewed on. Amazon was Project <laughs> Orion, and it was oh. written by Freeman Dyson's son. Um, I I love the book. I think it was just called Project Orion or something like that. It's really interesting. But how do you know that Fre- Freeman Dyson doesn't? I mean, just to play devil's advocate, how yeah. do you know he doesn't have some kind of bias or some kind of financial uh, interest in in oh, stating the opposite opinion? No, he no. Okay, so he is a uh, he was a 
whatever fellow or whatever you call him, a, a resident at the Princeton Institute for Advanced Studies. I mean, he's like, you know, a von Neumann or Einstein type person, right? He, he's, 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 he's a very senior level person. He's not a guy who's out consulting for ExxonMobil or BP, right? Okay. So he's just saying, look, you know, I know, I, I think he believes that these science, that these uh, climatologists and, and meteorologists and are, you know, all the different glaciologists and all the type of scientists that are doing work in this field are, you know, are putting a very earnest effort into it. But he's just saying the models are just too simplistic. These, these systems are too complex. They can't properly model them. So claiming that these things are true, that they're stepping too far. That's what Freeman Dyson says. Okay. So obviously I'm not an expert. I'm just saying, so when someone says yeah. someone of his stature and his Genius. It makes you question it. Yeah, with von Neumann or or or, or uh, Richard Feynman says, you know, this is BS. You got to like step back and go, okay, you know, maybe he's right, maybe he's wrong, but you can't just dismiss it and say he's an idiot or he's a crank because he's not because he's probably smarter than anyone working on the problem. Now, of course, it's just one person and it's not necessarily his field, but he's a specialist in modeling complex systems or you know complex yeah. physics. So I found that was interesting. So. And I've talked to other physicists. I've talked to a couple who kind of expressed this similar opinion. And basically, the friend of one, a friend of mine who's a physicist, said, "You know, you know that a lot of physicists have the same feeling about global warming as they do about economics, which is that a lot of it is founded on principles that that they're they're too loose with their their, their models aren't they don't capture enough of the complexity, and they're based on some assumptions that just." are not necessarily provable. So the physics, if a physicist presented that type of modeling or that kind of stuff to other physicists, they would be laughed out of the room. It wouldn't be accepted. And they had that same reaction to the field of economics. I remember when I read this book called Complexity um, back in the uh, 90s, it was about the founding of the Santa Fe Institute, which was to study, um, was based on the study of complexity theory. And it was like all these world-renowned, you know, uh, Nobel laureates like Murray Gell-Mann and Kenneth Arrow and Ian Stewart and just these amazing people. And they brought in all these physicists and mathematicians and neuroscientists and economists, and they're all talking about the field of, um, of complexity and how you could find and complex adaptive systems and how you study the science in terms of, you know, of, of the brain, uh, economies, quantum mechanics, all this kind of stuff, right? And um, this is the Jason that I know. We've now we've wound you up. Go on, let's watch you go. Keep going, Jason. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the part of it I, which really struck me, and I still remember, was that they uh, they the when they were talking, they were getting together and having these sort of these little. I don't know uh, these seminars where they they, they they they'd have some economists sit, 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 you know present they do like like we're gonna do a talk and some economists is gonna say okay this is how we're looking at economists this is how economists we approach this problem this is we're seeing complexity and the physicists are sitting there looking at the models and the mathematics and what they're saying and they're like what I can't say that okay you know so so you know? so cumulatively this is all the reason why you question whether global warming is in fact correct or not i'm just saying i'm uh, i there is i have some skepticism to it just because the people who i th- who i think are some some brilliant physicists are are have some skepticism and so it makes me leads me to think okay maybe this isn't worth buying into like a religion um now the other th- what do you think about just well, just before i just got a, a rebuttal just a quick rebuttal okay what do you think about the fact that land masses are appearing because so much ice is melting. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, okay, look, I mean, you know, I'm not an expert. I don't even read that much about it. So I'm not even going to say that I'm even, I'm sure, you know, if you took our listenership, 
I'm probably not even the top half of the most knowledgeable people on the subject. I'm probably the lower half. I've just not paid that close attention the last couple of years. I did for a while back in, you know, 2000. No, in, in fairness, in fairness, I, I was just asking your opinion. So that's, okay. so you don't even need to, yeah. to, to no, make I'm just that saying, when, I'm just saying, you know, after talking to some physicists that I know and after reading, you know, this big uh, interview with Freeman Dyson on the subject, it made me pause. Um, now, at the same time, it, made me, it used to make me really angry when ExxonMobil um, and some of these other oil companies were putting money behind the two or three scientists who would actually write all of these sort of anti-global warming stuff. And it was kind of mm. like they'd always – so you, you'd, you'd read it in the paper and they'd say, well, the consensus is now because you know, not all scientists agree. And it was like the same three or four jackasses who were writing this stuff and they were all funded by ExxonMobil. You know, it was, so it's like put a fly in the ointment. It's just enough to, the, to make the whole thing seem not credible even if it was credible. Yeah, you know, it muddies the water. So what happens is you have companies or people who say, look, you know, it's in my interest for global warming not to be true. Right. I mean, it, I make money. My companies make money or the industry I'm in makes money or whatever. Um, or I generally don't want my lifestyle to change. I don't want to feel guilty about this stuff. So I would like to believe that it's BS. Right. So um, it gives them just enough to hang their hat on. It makes them just it gives them just enough to point a finger and say, well, th- this consensus is this isn't necessarily true. So then you can say, ah, I want to worry about business. I'm not going to worry about, you know, my carbon footprint or I'm not going to worry about, you know, fossil fuel can fuels as our primary energy source like peak oil etc yeah, well that peak oil is a whole different thing but you know anyway so that i it used to make me really it still makes me angry i don't like when systems are corruption i am i the, my biggest things one of the things that i'm most interested in is is corruption in general political corruption economic corruption whatever and that would, or yelp corruption i'm less interested in yelp corruption but it is interesting <laughs> <laughs> but um i i um and uh so that's how I sit on it. I mean, I guess I'm, uh, I probably think I w- you're on the fence. I'm on the fence, but I'm on the fence, not because I'm, uh, because, uh, you know, I'm influenced by the petroleum association that funds a few cranks, uh, uh, you know, who, who throw, who muddy the waters. I'm a little, I have a, some skepticism about maybe not whether it's true or not, but the degree that they think that it's true, maybe they don't know as much as they think they know. I mean, because of what Freeman Dyson has said and because I respect him like, you know, like, you know, Richard, you know, Feynman or von Neumann or something. Now, the last thing I'll say is regardless of whether, you know, it's getting warmer or not or whatever, I mean, we're still running an uncontrolled experiment, you know, and at a massive scale. And that's dangerous. Right, we don't really know what's going on. But then again, it mm-hmm. could turn out. It could turn out that it's, it turns out to be global cooling, and we're actually helping things incidentally. Um, and we just don't know. But the problem is, we just don't know. I don't think we know enough. But I don't. Maybe I mean I'm wrong. I I hope. Um, all right, I've I've got a I've got to switch this topic. I've got something else to bring up. Right. If you want to go for it? Right. Okay. So one thing that I did that um, I think you were pretty happy about was I managed to hook up. A session to happen on texting, and you know, a, a, a fully paid uh, session. Text. So, uh, so God, I keep on getting the names wrong. Anyfu, <laughs> Anyfu, right? So, I, I set up an Anyfu session. Um, Jim Robert, who's a texting listener, was looking for a flash um, expert, and I happen to know a flash expert and um, was able to set it up. So, we now have a flash expert on Anyfu, and they had a great session. All re- they reported back all the same stuff that. Uh, that has been reported back about other sessions, which is, but well, which is that it, it's just great. Worked great. Yeah. Yeah. Just really good. Yeah. Everybody was happy. Okay. So go on. 
But as as a, like a as a side point, um, I was speaking to Jim, and he has a website that I think it would be cool to do a La Critique. So he's got a website, rootbuzz.com. Wants to do a lot critique of, of Rootbuzz? Yeah. Okay. Do that now? Yeah, just, I just uh, pasted paste you. Paste why, you why does he want to do a search? Because that's his, that's his startup. That's his startup. And there was something that he, I want to talk to you about it. And there's one interesting aspect of his startup that I would, I'd like to talk to you and also talk to the listeners about to get people's general feedback and thoughts about this one aspect. Right. But actually the whole, the whole, the whole startup's kind of interesting. So basically it rootbuzz.com. That's R O O T B U Z Z.com. And what it is, is it's, it's essentially stack exchange, right? And he's, you know, they're not ashamed to admit that basically they've recreated stack exchange, but it companies can then use this, uh, like on a subdomain on their website or whatever either you know for questions and answers or for for like marketing or whatever because stack exchange themselves you know i could i couldn't get like a you know stackexchange.plugio.com yeah no the the way it works um i mean i mean they would talk about this on their stack exchange podcast all the time um jeff and uh and joel and they would say that you know you could apply like you could make suggestions for stack exchange sites and they I think if they thought it was a potentially good idea, a good niche, that it would work well, that Stack Exchange would work well in that in that sort of subject area, and then they would, if it, if it made their, if it passed that sort of uh, and vetting on their standpoint, then they would give it sort of like this, um, I don't know, like probationary period where you know the community would try and build up, and if they felt that it was getting enough ground and there was and there was a, a consistent consistent number of new high quality questions that could be answered uh, well then they would um, they would allow it to exist otherwise they'd kill it okay so with with root buzz you you know anyone can do it you can you can set it up as a subdomain for your company website you can all they also have a scenario where you can integrate the single sign-on so you can integrate your user registration system with theirs so that for someone to get directly into your own root buzz you click the link from your site and it's going to auto log them into their system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can theme it, right? So that's, that's fair enough. And, you know, I get all of that and I can see why some people might need that. But when he was talking, talking me through it, I was looking at the page and you'll see this if you go to rootbuzz.com. The basic pricing model is 0.0025 cents per page view. Right. Quarter of a cent. Quarter of a cent per page view. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I don't really know what that, um, what that would come to. I mean, I guess, I mean, you know, I'm not, I don't. But just as a general principle, what do you think about, charging per about page m- basically metered, essentially it's metered charging, right? What do you think about metered charging for some kind of SaaS app service like this? Do you I, think I th- that's a good idea or a bad idea? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a reasonably good idea because, um, it, it just like SendGrid. And uh, Mailgun and companies like that charge a metered approach to sending emails. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's sensible because it it captures the ultimate value. If you have a million page views or you have a hundred, it's going to charge you appropriately. It, whether you know, because it could be the case, case where you have not as many questions asked, but you have a huge thread or or vice versa. So charging that way, it may not always work, but page views probably is better. I, I think it's good. I like it. You don't like it, I guess. 
I mean, my my first reaction was, well, that's not so great. That's that's almost like bad for you, and it's bad for the customer. Um, and I mean, I'm interested to see what you think about this reasoning. But I think the reason why it's bad for you is because if you're charging ten bucks a month or twenty bucks a month, there's going to be a lot of customers who, on the page view model, would only end up at two dollars a month. So you're losing a lot of money. A lot of money is being left on the table because people are used to paying ten dollars or twenty dollars a month. Okay. That's one bad thing. And from the customer's point of view, it's like there's a feeling of uncertainty about being metered. You know, it's like, how do you budget metered billing? Oh, what happens if my website really takes off? You know, where, how's this whole metered billing thing going to work? Whereas you understand a regular monthly payment. Yeah, so. yeah, I don't agree, I guess. I mean, I, I feel like, um, you know, there, there's a little uncertainty, but I don't, I don't, I don't, it's like, not like I'm worried about the last, you know, the, the send grid model. Right, I don't get worried about that. It's just it's so small; it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I think what you could but go on. But doesn't SendGrid feel different to to web page views? I mean, page views, like page views. It seems like oh wow. I mean, you know, robots could crawl this site, and I could end up paying ten bucks a month. Well, you know? I, I, maybe what they could do is you could do a couple things to uh, ameliorate that. Um, that concern, which would be one, you could uh, put in limits. So, like, if it goes over a certain amount you get uh, a notification uh, to you get it. Maybe you could do either just a sort of a passive notification or you can have a notification that says access will be shut down uh, within 20 minutes or immediately if it goes beyond a certain number. So if you feel like somebody's DDoSing your site and causing you a ton of money or something. But why bother when the, when the, the model that's accepted is the you know, monthly subscription, well, which you will generally make more money from? I don't think that's true. What what makes you say that? I mean, you're you're the we we just talked about examples where that works uh, with metered. There's plenty of things that work with metered. I mean, you're just just because it's more common doesn't mean that it's the best fit in all cases. I I think I think the best fit. I think the one that scales best is the when you charge when you can charge and the value delivered. In his particular business model, he can charge on the value delivered, which is the paid view. So yeah, I I, I think he's doing it fine. I think if you want to, if if you think those are if your customers are having this kind of concerns, if you speak with customers or prospective customers and they express a concern about you know worrying the price is going to go up too high that you know they can say well you know you could uh be notified or it doesn't go beyond a certain amount uh, without you saying yeah that's it's fine keep you know uh, we we got a big spike cuz we hit a front page or something well that's 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 interesting yeah exactly there you know you hit the front page of hacker news and you get 20,000 people in one day but but that's interesting to, that that's your viewpoint so i have my viewpoint and i'm i'm really interested to see what listeners think about that please post comments to the blog um, because they, obviously, and it's it's good that we have different takes on this, and I'm interested to see what listeners think. The the other thing um, I want to just this is another topic. Jumping back to a previous topic, but I'd love to hear if if there are any physicists or anyone who has any expertise in the climate stuff, uh, what their opinion is on the whole thing. Particularly, I'd be very interested if there are any physicists who um, have spent any time thinking about it or looking into the models. If they have reservations or they think that it's all really legit and that you know, just as brilliant as uh, Freeman Dyson is that he's just kind of wrong on this one. I'd be really curious to know. I know we have, I've, we've received emails from scientists uh, before who are listeners and some physicists and some biologists or some, one, one guy emailed us. He was an expert. He's like a microbiologist or molecular biologist. He was emailing us about the H5N1 conversation mm-hmm. we had and uh, you know, whatever. So yeah, I'd love to hear, get some feedback on that. Speaking of feedback, you want to 
talk feedback? Or are you sure are you jumping on? Sure. So. I do have something else, but I'll get back to it. Okay, so <laughs> you know, I, I I brought up the idea of simulating the uh, the zombie apocalypse. Oh, wow, we got a lot of comments about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that's what I said. I thought it would be fun. It's just a fun thing to think about, and that it's 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 fun because it's silly. But even despite the silly topic, it would be an interesting technical problem, right? But it, it but not so complicated that you couldn't do it. I mean, it's a relatively simple simulation so it's doable you know um that that's kind of the reason why i wanted to do it and and silly because it's kind of fun to think about and it's fun to talk yeah. about and i think that's why it could work and it's just the kind of stuff that this is the kind of conversations that i used to have with in my first start we'd sit around and we'd have these silly conversations about like the concept of the planimal half plant half animal <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know it's these dumb conversations and you go on and on about like well look if it was going to do photosynthesis and this would have to happen there's no way you could get the energy density you know but it was it was sort mm-hmm. of funny when you you when you sort of um you try and focus a certain level of intellectual rigor and creativity on a stupid idea it's still fun mm-hmm. you know so yeah. that was it so ben boyder had a great response though he goes um he goes, my take on the zombie apocalypse was always that it could never happen. The reasons being, and I'm going I'm to read out his reasons because they're really good, actually. He goes, the zombie's primary enemy is also its main food source. This is like having to tackle a lion every time you feel like eating a sandwich. You're going to get mauled. That's <laughs> pretty good. He goes, the zombie's only method of reproducing is also biting its primary enemy. Again, every time you feel Randy, go tackle a lion, which has the intent to maul you. <laughs> Keep in mind, in order to be effective, each zombie needs to bite at least two humans, which leads us nicely to, and this is point three, humans are bloody good at killing things. This includes a great number of creatures which have far more, more effective killing implements than we were given by nature. Lions, tigers, bears, oh my. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure I could take out 20 zombies in a car without too much issue. Quite a few people have cars, certainly more than one in 20 people in a first world country do, even if they... Only take out two zombies each. We are ahead. And I was like, yeah. yeah that's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. I'm like, dude, you kind of killed my, you killed my buzz. <laughs> I was like, what's, what's <laughs> with all this, like, getting rational thing? You know, it's like, you know, it's like it, it, the example I kind of responded to. And I was like, you know, it's like with you, it's like watching the movie. It's like watching the TV show Lost and the guys like, hey, man, you know, like, what's with this magic island? It's total BS. <laughs> this time travel. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, seriously. No, can I just true. watch it, Like, as as an infection, it would never really take off, would it? Because even even when there was like three, the, you know, the original three zombies, and they're just walking around, oh, I'm a zombie. Like, you, you know, you'd whack them on the head or you'd take them to the hospital or something. Yeah. <laughs> so it well, wouldn't get very far. Well, I thought 28 Days Later um, was, was uh, that was like my favorite zombie because the zombies move fast, you know, which made them really mm-hmm. scary because they would, and they would, they would become infected immediately, infected it instantaneously. So it was your they, favorite or no? It was my favorite because zombies oh, that move okay. really slow. You could just walk around with a baseball bat and start cracking them over the head and just like dodging them, boom, boom, you know. But if when they're have fast, you watched the series zombie? Uh, have you watched the series um, about Dead. zombies? The Walking yeah. Dead. I saw one episode of a of, of the most of the late. I, I I screwed up because I just kind of watched the end of like episode twenty or whatever the last one for the season. Oh no! So I kind of know what it gets to there, but I could kind of go back and watch the beginning. It looked kind of entertaining. I I, okay. I kind of like I don't know why I mean I probably the same reason as a lot of people do but I kind of like those those post apocalyptic 
movies and TV shows? Or is there something about them that's interesting? Just like, what would you do in that scenario? You know, but, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, so the whole zombie thing, I was kind of thinking about that too. Like I was reading, I, I, guess, I think, oh, cause I wanted to check up on my facts about the 28 days later, because I was talking with Amos at Uber about the 28 days later. And he thought that the 28 days later referred to how long a zombie would live before it died or something like that. And I thought, I think, cause that's, that was part of like the simulation parameter kind of thing. And I said, well, because hmm. we, we were discussing the whole zombie simulation. And I go, you know, I, I thought it was 28 days later. The guy was in a coma or he was a bike messenger, got hit by a car or something, and he woke up 28 days later. And so I, I wanted to go double check and see if I was just wrong. It turned out I actually was right. But in all fairness to Amos, he's like 23. So he was like, you know, 12 when the movie came out. So it's no <laughs> surprise that he might have, you know, remiss remembered something. Um, but. But uh, yeah, I was, I was thinking about when I was reading that Wikipedia article, they were talking about how like the zombie infections were like overseas. But the problem when the zombie infection happens that quickly, how the hell is a plane going to go across the Atlantic? Right? Like mm-hmm. you get infected and then you're like, ah, and you're a zombie, right? <laughs> you know? mm. I mean, it happens that fast. You, the whole plane's going to crash. It's going to crash. Or like you're not going to get there. Yeah. We were boarding yeah. on the plane. The guy's sitting there like a zombie sitting there like, you know, in row 13, you know, just kind of. But you wouldn't get on the yeah exactly he's <laughs> he's gonna say okay I'll just I'll just take the 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 whiskey you're gonna give me before I start right, biting like, people. That guy's kind of irascible. What's his deal? Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean yeah, it's- sir. Really, you should get off the plane, sir. Please, really, sir, you are causing you're causing an awful sin. Please, <laughs> please get off the plane, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now I now I remember reading something about infectious diseases, and I I, mean, I could be wrong about this. Like it might have been the Ebola virus. And they were talking about like viruses that spread really quickly. The infection um, shows up really quickly. Don't aren't as ultimately as dangerous on a global scale because you, it's it's easier. It's more easily contained. Like everybody's affected. You're like, oh crap, those people stop. But when things like incubate for a long time, someone could be sick for a year, two years in a show like HIV and AIDS kind of stuff. That's really mm. dangerous because people don't know they're infected. For years, yeah. and they go all around the world and ha- and, and have a close contact with lots of people. So, um, yeah, that's what I was starting to think about. I was like, you know, that's the problem with the zombie instant infection thing. It's just hard for that stuff to go global. So it kind of kills the reality of it. So, 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 um, I have something to bring up, which is not related to this. If you are interested, and in if you must, evidence. if you must, I'm kind of unless there's you're more a, zombie stuff. You- you're a buzzkill, just like Ben Boyd. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's, you, know, you, you got more have you got more zombie stuff to go uh, if you, if you do, do i have more zombie stuff well no i will say this so ben ben had kind of suggested more along the lines of what would be an interesting simulation was like sort of an like simulating a simple economy which ultimately mm-hmm. is kind of what i would be interesting in simulating it'd be much more difficult i think but it would be interesting if you could simulate a simple economy and you remember we've had this conversation once or twice it was one i can't remember how long it was been like a year and a half ago where I was trying to explain the concept of inflation and deflation and the way I was using it. I said, let's pretend we're on an island and there's like 10 of us there and somebody yeah. fishes and somebody makes huts. And so how do we deal with like a currency and how does inflation deflation work? Well, if you created a really simple economy, like an island, like, a, you know, there's, you know, 10 or a hundred people and you, and then you might be able to simulate something like that. And that would be interesting to explain things like um, monetary policy, inflation or deflation and uh, employment and whatever. And it would just be linked to, to if you could sort of discover what happens when, you know, under certain circumstances. But 
Well, you know, back in, uh, I think it was like 2003 when I was like trying to come up with all sorts of ideas um, to, to make money online. One of the ideas I started thinking about was the whole Ponzi scheme and how that all worked and what would happen if you created a website where people could put money into the website and then other people could take the money. And I, was, I just was theoretically thinking about it. And I basically created this flash simulation um, where you could you could add people to the system and each new person who came into the system came in with a hundred dollars and I wanted to see what would happen if money kind of ebbed and flowed between the different people. And at the end of the day, I just, re I just realized through this kind of very simple simulation and, and I know it's nowhere near complex enough to be a proper um, financial simulation, but this was just my own little kind of microcosmic simulation. It, it just, nothing could happen. Nothing could go anywhere. Like you couldn't take any money out of the system. And basically everything just remained on parity. And I guess that's like a, like a small example of why we're all screwed. <laughs> well, I don't, know. I don't know. What do you mean we're all screwed in what way? Well, because, because basically, look, you know, in, in this little system I had, you, you could just click a button. It would add a new user. They'd come on board with a hundred bucks, right? Then they'd start shuffling money around to each other. There was only ever that amount of money in the system. You know, there was yeah, just the see, amount. So there's only a certain amount of, of stuff yeah, for okay. everyone to have. Okay, so that's actually, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, I've actually thought about that conversation. Are you telling me about that a number of times? Um, and and, and uh, one thing about it that's, that's interesting is that you are drawing a certain conclusion about it based on the simulation. And it's the same critique that, say, Freeman Dyson has of uh, the global warming modeling, which is to say that, okay, so your model says X, but he's, your model is not sophisticated to capture the complexities of reality. So the conclusions you're drawing are false because it's not a rich enough model. And so you could say, well, Jason, you know, I wrote the simulation. Every time it comes out this, I could say, well, you know, dude, <laughs> I mean, it's too, it's, 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 the, the economy that you're trying to say something about or understand better is so much more complex and nuanced than what you're doing here and it's 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 not that you've come up a truth about the about the reality you've come to a truth about your model and it's just simple it's not it's, it's it just doesn't it doesn't work so i that, that i think well, that's no, no, I think, but 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 essentially what i was trying to simulate was if i created this website and brought all these people in and got them all to put in a hundred bucks is there any way that anyone could make any money and the long and the okay. short of it was no no, oh, wait, a Ponzi scheme. Ponzi scheme creates no. Yeah, net just, just, yeah, just, yeah, just that there was no way because I was thinking, okay, maybe they could all invest and like do some kind of micro lending thing or whatever. But it, it just all seemed, yeah, it was just, it just wasn't very. It didn't look like it was interesting. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so, it's, but it's not. I mean, one thing I want to say is not that simulation or models aren't valuable and that you can learn something. It's just like, as long as you capture the essential pieces, um, and uh, that's what I always. Because when we first talked about this, I didn't realize that it was simulating a Ponzi scheme. I thought you were simulating some kind of a trading environment, like financial entities trading value back and forth. And uh, you felt like, well, nobody, the same people always end up with money or something like that. And I always thought. Well, no, I, I guess what I just, what I felt from this was, it, I mean, it did make me think, it did make me draw the conclusion that, you, that you're saying is the incorrect conclusion, which is basically that in the world, um, there is a certain amount of resources and it's shared between all the people and it just shifts from some people to the other. And there's just no way that everyone's going to have an equal amount. Like there's going to be, it's, it's, it's just impossible. Like we're screwed. 
Some people are going to have nothing and some people are going to have everything. And that's just the way it's going to end up. Um, okay. Actually, I have uh, three <laughs> things to say. I'm trying to keep in my brain. Before I... The problem is sometimes I have like three, three ideas and then in the process of explaining the first one, I forget the other two. So I'm going to see if I remember. Okay, the first thing I want to say is that, okay, so let's go back to my old island example. Okay. Right. You have 10 people on the island and there's only so much net value that those 10 people can create until they increase until they get a new technology. So like there's only so much fish that one guy can can fish and there's only so many huts that one guy can make and there's only so much uh, you know whatever wild boar that some guy can go hunt. Until let's say the guy just this is someone on the island who can weave and they're able to weave a net which allows which which is a better technology and allows the fishermen to ha- to capture to fish 10 times more be 10 times as productive, right? So it was a net value creation um, and made everyone's lives better because now they have enough fish. Every, nobody's going hungry. So that's bringing new stuff into the system. New stuff. But it was a technology. It was an innovation, a technological innovation. Now, mm. let's say that they that they use some kind of, uh, uh, you know, they, they came up with a way of defining money. They said, all right, what we're going to do is, you know, if you have with a few people, let's say we have some stones and we're actually going to notch them with a number on it and only numbers, you know, one through 10,000 are is a, uh, is a is an actual, is an actual um, legitimate currency piece and we're going to trade those around you know um so Mm -hmm. someone can't go off and just collect some other rocks or something and so we have these things well everyone's lives is worth better now there there isn't more money in the system this is the same amount of money it's representing more value in that case um but you you created more value Mm -hmm. now let's say that the the little civilization goes on for another generation and 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 they actually reproduce and have kids and so let's say you know now you have 250 people on the island. But with 250 people on the island as opposed to 100, now you're, you have more value that can be created because you have more people who are fishing, more people are creating better huts, maybe more way of, of getting fresh water, whatever. It's overall um, you know, you more, have less more people. less money to go around, right? Yeah. Because you've still got the original 10,000. Yeah. Now what happens is, is um, the – now that and I know we've kind of leaked into a uh, a deflation inflation discussion, but the, um, <laughs> the um, oh, by the way, I remember once we had that conversation. We there it was the one time was the first really or the second I still remember the really negative comment, and the guy was really pissed because I said something about open source software. Uh, being kind of a hurting entrepreneurial software entrepreneurship or something. I made some comment lines <laughs> and he's like, that was a disaster. It was the worst show ever. But I like the part about the def- deflation. I might have to stick around for the show. <laughs> <laughs> I was- anyway, don't, don't lose your train of thought. Otherwise you're going to forget yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, I probably have already, but I, 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 uh, so okay, I I said I, you said two you said now there's 250 people on the island, right? and I said okay, well now we've only got ten thousand uh, stones. So what do we do now? Yeah, okay. So the the way that like the 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 financial reserve works is is they are in charge essentially of monetary policy, and so they can in very simple. I know I'm simplifying it so people who understand about uh, the bond auctions and, and 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 all that kind of stuff. I mean, understand that I'm just trying to keep it simple here. You know, too wonky on it, but. They would essentially create more of these stones. So we're gonna we're going to every year, every month, we're gonna we're gonna introduce five new stones into the system or ten new stones. So, but it makes sense because there's more people. Well, okay, but if there was the same hundred people and every month you'd add a few stones, right? Five stones. 
you're essentially decreasing the net value of the stones you have because nobody's getting really any more fish or nobody's getting any more wild boar or, or better huts, right? It's what's happening is it takes more of those, those stones to buy however many fish from the fish guy or get, a, get, your, get your roof fixed from the, the hut guy, right? But if, um, if what ha- what's happening is there is being additional value creating the system where people are coming into the system, another shipwreck comes, another 10 people show up, you know, or, um, you know, there's net technology. So there's new technology that increases innovation. Then it, it, it allows for there to be not, uh, which I guess like, um, let's see how I can explain this, but there, there, then it's okay. Right. Because it keeps prices kind of stable. Right. And now there, this gets to kind of a, a, a deep and nuanced stuff. And I'm not saying I'm an expert on it or anything, but I had an interesting conversation with Phil Amon about this yesterday, who we've had on the show and who's a friend of mine. Now, in, 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 I, I was saying it would be really interesting to find out like, what the reasons are for having a target inflationary rate. Because the, the, and I can't remember what the target is exactly, but the, but the, but the Federal Reserve is targeting a very specific inflation rate. And, and, and part of the reason is, is that people have an expectation of their wages growing over time. And if there's a little net inflation, it helps that perception. And one thing he was talking about, like he, he gave me another reason, which is that in contracts, so when like unions and other things have contracts that are based on wages and that, and when the, and when the wages and when the, um, if you get in a def- deflationary state, and it's not inflationary that it screws up these contracts and it creates a, gets a lot of legal complications. Um, I'm just, okay, just to go back to the island thing, okay. right? It, it's not going to take very long before someone ends up being the rich guy and then everyone else ends up being the poor guy. What do you mean? Why, why do you say that? Well, because, because like someone is going to end up thinking of a way of like creating something that all the other people need. So they're all going to give that person their stones to get that other thing, right? And so now all of a sudden that guy is going to have a disproportionate, he's going to be the 1%. Well, okay, 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 okay. okay. So, okay, I understand what you're saying. So some people are going to create more value than other people. They're going to create value that other people want more than they want other things, okay? Or, or they're going to find ways of getting their stones without creating value. Okay, well, let's, 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 let's just skip the whole, you know, that kind of like, so what you're hinting at is there's something nefarious or underhanded or, or going on. But let's just say that, yeah, so... You know, some people are going to create more value than other people. Let's just assume it's all straight up, right? There's no corruption or cronyism or thievery or anything like that. Yeah, that'll happen, right? I mean, some people are going to be more productive, and some people are going to be more innovative, and some people are going to have create more value, and that's right. It's, 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 I think it's impossible to assume that everybody can create the same amount of value, for sure. Now, okay. you know. Okay, so there's, let's say there's a thousand people in this island. One person does this thing and creates all this value. Now, he has... 90% of the stones, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. He should give those stones back to everyone on the island. Okay, well, okay. Let's get into a whole other sort of political discussion. <laughs> I don't get to. But what, what, a couple of things that you have to be careful of is when you have um, too much um, of, of uh, inequity and wealth inequity in a society because what happens is the people in the system starts to get very resentful. And that makes the people who have too much of the wealth ultimately unsafe because then you have revolutions. People just get pissed off and they're like, this, the system is rigged. It's unfair. We got nothing to lose, right? At a certain point, people just feel like they got nothing to lose. And um, that's why it's dangerous. Like I would read recent articles. I think that right now, if I have my numbers correct, I read an article, a study by the 
written by the president of the uh, Dallas Federal Reserve, and he was t- it was articles about the getting we need to solve this too big to fail bank problem. Okay, that was articles about that, and that's a really interesting. Um, uh, our, uh, it's a really interesting report. It's worth reading for people interested in that. But one thing he said I cited was a number, and I believe I have the number right. We said that currently, like twenty four percent of the wealth in the country is now owned by the top one percent. I think it was twenty. Whereas back in like nineteen eighty or something, it was like ten percent. Or so it's like, and and then I, I read another article referenced a similar number that in the, the net value that's been added. So like our wages for the last 20 years or whatever, or 25 years or something like that has been pretty much stagnant on the median, median income. But in all of, in, the, in like 90% or 75%, I think it was like 75% of the wealth that has been added has been gone back to the top 1%, actually more towards the top 0.1%. Actually the richest, the, top, uh, 15, the wealthiest 15,000 families in the country. That's a yeah, problem I mean, for society because what happens is eventually, yeah. I mean, you want enough freedom that people feel like they can get rich and people can have innovate and wealth and they get rewarded and people can kind of keep their chips, that kind of stuff. But when things, when people start to feel things are rigged and people feel like they think there's like multiple classes of people and then and there's no social or economic mobility, um, then then large numbers of people become very resentful and then it's it's you're 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 in a state where revolutions can occur and bad. So what would happen? Hard thought experiment right mm-hmm. what would happen if those 15,000 wealth, wealthiest families gave away 80% of their wealth and distributed distributed it evenly amongst everyone so this is fantasy land you're talking about yeah 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 <laughs> this is just this fantasy like this will never happen but okay they no but what what would it what would it mean to society what would it mean to society i don't what know would think it would mean what would happen i don't know but i guess people would be i mean would it change would it would it would, would it make people happy would it change would would all of a sudden for example people who had menial jobs stop doing menial jobs and all of a sudden the the lower infrastructure of society would crumble and collapse you know uh, no probably i mean maybe in the short term you probably have short-term disruptions if all of a sudden you know people who are doing menial jobs you know, all of a sudden had a million dollars in their bank account and were like, you know what, screw that. I'm not picking up the garbage. So you might have a problem in the short run. But um, I don't know. You know, it's really interesting. I don't really have a great answer for that. I'd have to think about that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. But there was a great article I read. I, I, I don't know if I bookmarked it or not, but it was sort of, a, I don't know if it was a, what they call an argument ad absurdum. I can't remember if it were essentially was saying that rather than giving, so essentially one thing that the whole too, too big to fail bank problem, which is essentially what the Federal Reserve did, is it basically guaranteed credit to certain to liquidity, but basically saying, you know, you, you could just like have this much money in your bank account and then use it to lend out and, and perform transactions. And we, you know, and uh, it just kind of materialized out of nowhere. So the banks could essentially have free money to, in, in, to, to lend out and trade. So the system wouldn't implode, right? That was, that's yeah. essentially happened right now people generally had a lot of problem with that because it's a moral hazard so basically you know when you when people fail and you just sort of they can do irresponsible th- risky things with other people's money and then get rewarded for it and don't get fired and don't go to jail and still take home huge bonuses and carry on as usual people have a that, that's unfair it's unjust and it gives them the opportunity to say well you know heads i win tails i don't lose right so they're they're in the future gonna be like you know Look, if if everything goes to crap, the only way we can lose money is if there's if there's a huge system wide failure. And if that's the case, we're bailed out anyway, so we might as well bet big on this stuff because if we do, then I make you know fifty million 
next year. Yeah. And bonuses. So that's, it's not hard to understand that that's a, that, that there's a lot of, lot of problems with that. And the whole too big to fail problem has, um, really gotten worse because banks bought other banks. They got more consolidated. So what this article was, was positing was the idea that of rather than giving the banks uh, all this money, just giving it to people, like everyone gets 10, you know, what was it? Uh, $10 million in their account. So they can either invest it conservatively and live off the interest or, or, or do whatever they want. But essentially would, uh, it'd be effectively the same thing it would be a huge economic, stimulus <laughs> and it was sort of yeah. it was sort of this and it, I think it was in jest it was sort of ridiculous but just showed you kind of how absurd the too big to fail you know solution was but um i'll see if i find a link to that story that was that was great but speaking of too big to fail have you have you read anything about the mf global problem uh, no uh, I, mf global controversy so mf global was a financial brokerage firm, but essentially commodities. It was a was Man Financial, which then went public and they kind of split off into two two parts, and one became Man Financial or MF Global. And John Corzine, who was before Paulson, he was the CEO of Goldman Sachs, and then went on mm-hmm. to be, I think, a senator, a senator from New Jersey, U.S. senator, then became the governor of New Jersey, and then he went to become the CEO of of MF Global. Okay, so he's a big deal, super politically connected guy. Well, essentially what yeah. happened is MF Global made some trades betting on, uh, betting on this whole the sovereign debt, Euro, Eurozone sovereign debt stuff, and lost. And, and, they, and, they, and they, the, the trades went against them, and they used uh, customer account money. So like, let's say that you had $50,000 in MF Global, and you were just trading um, you know. Wheat futures or gold or silver oil contracts, right? Isn't that illegal? Yeah. Well, no, actually, no. It's not. Surprisingly, it's limited. So it's it's. I, 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 so I was doing a little research on it because I I'd, I'd read something some about it and I didn't know that much. So I I did a little more research last night and um, it's called I I don't have the word in front of me, but it's like rehypothecation or, or something like. It's kind of a hard word to say, but essentially means the using client accounts as part of your own trades. Now, hmm. banks kind of do that anyway. So when a bank is... Because of, is it because it's all commingled? Yeah, it's kind of commingled assets. And it, well, commingled assets usually talking about like when you're commingling like your assets with like your startups, like your company's assets. Like if you and I were, were using any food and paying for dinner and buying stuff and then, you know, right. you, that, or, or then buying stuff or anything on our own accounts, so we'd be commingling. It would be confusing the books and it would screw up the LLCs. No, no, but it, it, it is used in the terms of, for example, with Webmaster Checks, they explained to us that all the money is commingled from all the different clients in their actual bank account. So I think that that's a good, that's a good analogy for this concept that you're talking about. Okay, okay, fine, yeah. So, you know, now there's, a, there's certain limitations. The Canada, the Canada, it's illegal. You can't do it. UK, there's no problem. It's unlimited. In the US, there's certain, uh, it's, it's kind of in the middle there, middle ground. Like you can and you can't under certain cases. And after the initial financial crisis in 2007, 2008, a bunch of hedge funds were like, have special contracts with their, with their brokerages say, you, you know, there's a limit on how much of our, um, on our assets you can use, you know, to, as backing your own trades and all that kind of other stuff. And hmm. what they found is that on average, because if you trade a certain amount of money and some other 
counterparty trades it and all this stuff, essentially it gets repurposed like four different times. So levered up four times. Everybody's counting that as their own capital that they're trading with. Real problem. Oh, Lord. Well, well, anyway, the whole too big to fail thing, the whole point of this is that they blew up. They, they, and essentially it was, it went down with like, I've heard numbers saying either 1.2 and $1.6 billion of customer funds that, that Price Waterhouse Coopers, which was appointed as like the forensic accounting company that was going to go in and figure out what happened, that they can't, then the money isn't coming back or they either, either they can't find out where it went or they can't get it back. Isn't that amazing? Now, which sounds like BS because it's like, how can you not know, you know, everything's digital, right? Who traded with who, right? Everything's on a server yeah. or in a database. So that kind of doesn't sound believable to me. Um, but nobody's going to jail. In fact, what's really interesting is they're not going chapter 11. I mean, they're not going chapter seven, which is sort of a liquidation of assets. They're going chapter 11, which essentially allows the company to, the officers, and the managers stay in place, still receive salaries, they may receive bonuses even. The company's still operating, but allows them to reorganize and allows them to kind of come up with a plan to how they're going to, pay off their creditors and, and things like that. Wow. And so you talk about like a financially connected firm that does something that you would think would be absolutely illegal to the nth degree and uh, is still operating as if, you know, oops. <laughs> wow. Billion. That's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was amazing. I was, the reason I was, um, I was uh, and this kind of plays back into our world of startups. I was listening to an interview with, um, I believe his name is William Black. He was the one who oversaw the, um, the litigation uh, during the SNL um, scandals. Do you, do you remember hearing about that? Do you anything about the SNL scandals? Saturday Night Live scandals. No, savings and loan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. No, so, I don't. I won't go into depth of it because, A, I haven't read about it in a long time, so I don't really remember that much about it, but I think it happened in like the late 80s or 80s, or maybe sometime in the 80s and um, Keating I know was one of the big guys who went to jail but, but, but essentially he, pro- he, was, he, he was overseeing the prosecution of all of these bankers that, that um, were doing a lot of, of illegal activity the sa- the, and that was part of the savings and loan scandal and all these, all these bankers went to jail like the bankers literally went to jail you know, whereas in under in our financial crisis that occurred, where all this stuff, all the shady stuff with credit default swaps and you know CDOs and uh, you know all these illegal mortgages and robo signing, no one has gone to jail. No, you know, in fact, most of them still got bonuses. People weren't even fired for the most part. It was unbelievable. So he's talking about that. He's talking about MF Global and he's talking about how corrupt that whole thing was. So I mean, you you talk about someone who's an expert in this kind of stuff, and he's like, the whole thing is just a scandal. It's unbelievable that nobody's being prosecuted and that they're pretending like they can't find the money. But mm-hmm. uh, I'll put a link to that that interview with him. It was interesting. But what was um, interesting because I had read about the jobs that whole jobs bill. Have you read about that? They talk, well, I've, I've heard about it. Right. The, it's called, I can't, it's like the Jobs Act or something where it's just going to allow the crowdfunding of startups. You know, people in like Stacker News are getting really excited about that. So yeah. you like starter, but you can have like equity and stuff. And I think, it, you know, up to a certain amount, like I think you can put up to $10,000 or I don't know, it's $5,000 or $10,000 within a year. Okay. So a, one, so one person can put 10000 it might be that. It might be five thousand, maybe ten thousand. It's a limited amount. And, and, you, what, and it's, is it like tax free or what? What is it? No, no. It's just. Well, see, right now, like you or I could not invest in a startup unless it was like a personal friend of ours, um, because we're not accredited investors. We don't have a net worth greater than a million, and we don't make over two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. We're not yeah. accredited investors, um, so we're kind of, we can't play in that game. 
at all. That's that that we're we're not allowed. And and the reason was, and this is I think was Security Act, uh, the Security Act of 1929, I believe, um, which because so many people were getting scammed, you know, with companies, you know, um, people would come up and say, hey, you know, invest in this company and that company, and kind of fly by night stuff. And a lot of people were easily duped, and and they lose a big chunk of their net worth. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're worth millions of dollars or whatever, and especially back then, a million dollars meant like a lot more than a million dollars means now, obviously, then if you make some mistakes, you're not going to be on the street, right? You know, mm-hmm. if you lose half your net worth, well, then you're an idiot, but, uh, you know, or you made a bad choice or whatever. But, you know, if you have like no money in the bank and all of it's gone because of the scam, then that becomes a, a problem if you're a school teacher or just some regular person, right? So... Um, the so jobs the, thing. Go on. Yeah, no, just I'm just going to say it. That sounds cool. Yeah, it sounds cool. Now, I was reading uh, a great article uh, by um, uh, Matt Taibbi. He's uh, he writes for Rolling Stone, and he's really one of these guys who's railing, who's been railing against Bank of America and Goldman Sachs and in the whole financial crisis. I mean, article after article about detailing all the corruption and cronyism and stuff that's going on. So that's sort of like his focus, and he's really fun to read because he really nails it. But what's his he, name again? Uh, Matt Taibbi. Pronounce it. How do you spell that? And she's like T A I B I or something. Let me just type into the. Let me ask the Goo because I I just usually type in T A I B B I. Yeah, Matt Taibbi. Yeah, Taibbi. And he his dad was a really well known um, uh, journalist as well. And he used to write for um, the uh, what's it called the the um, the exile in Russia, which mm-hmm. was a really interesting. Um, alternative news thing, but ah, I'm getting instructed. So anyway, Matt, tell you, he's writing about this job that he's talking about what an incredible um, fraud inducing or fraud uh, allowing bill this is. So because essentially it's going to allow, um, it basically takes off, um, like there's no real audit controls over companies for like the first five years of their existence or something like that. Um, and he's and, and um, he was going on. He was talking like interviewing people who were were really experts in this field. And he said, you know, um, this is just gonna. There's gonna be so much fraud as a result of this because it wasn't the whole crowdfunding thing that was the deal. It was the fact that you're basically taking all um, all verification of uh, of audits and res- out of the system and 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 all requirements for um, you know that. Uh, it's accepting responsibility for. So it's like the anti Sarbane Oxley or whatever yeah, that's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, you know. Anyway, I'll I'll put a link up to it. I haven't read. I read this like two weeks ago, so I'm a little a little uh, fuzzy on some of the details. All right. But, well, um, but Black was the same way. William Black was all over this thing too. He's like, he's like, there is going to be more fraud that's going to result from this in five days. It's going to blow people away. People are going to. It's just going to introduce a whole new crisis of, of hmm. fraud. So, uh, well, so you've you've you, under the radar managed to sneak in a whole doom and gloom section. Oh, I have another one. Can I go? Oh no. Okay, go on. Well, you you know what this this is like we've we've um we've recorded quite a lot of time so far. I got. I got uh, okay, go I on. Get, go on. Okay. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I um. I was reading, uh, you remember how I, I talked about, there was an interview with, uh, it was an article by James uh, Bamford about uh, the, um, 
the NSA stuff, the big facility that they're yeah. building in Utah. How they got taps on like 22 of the switches around the country and basically sucking down everything. I, 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 would read, I had read recently about, I just saw a headline about how I, I, you know, Iran uh, recovered one of our drones that crashed. You don't have yeah. these drones flying yeah. Afghanistan. That, yeah. yeah, and they said that they had, uh, that they be able to understand it and sort of they're re-engineering it and they're going to have built their own drones. <laughs> and it kind of reminded me of the same thing, you, you know, like um, the Stuxnet virus, which attacks some of Iran, the, um, the uranium enrichment facilities in Natanz and uh, Boucher, I think, in Iran. Um, and they were essentially created by the uh, CIA and uh, Mossad. I mean, the, you have a lot of security researchers. Most of them were just pretending like, well, we're not really sure who built them. But then some say, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. It was probably the CIA and Mossad based on Iran and based on the level of sophistication of it. Yeah. So they created this incredibly sophisticated virus, like no one, a Trojan that no, like nothing anyone had ever seen before. And, this, and, the, and the, the security researchers who study these kinds of things, um, like at Kaspersky, I think is one of the labs and, and one of the companies, and they just were blown away. And they give all kinds of talks on it and how it was done and you know what they used to build it. Well, it turns out that what what's happened has been sort of a framework that's pulled out of sectors called Dooku, which other countries and other countries are using now and will probably and are already using against companies or the US itself. Right. So, but what, what it's a framework for what? Building viruses? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, building viruses. Oh. Building these really powerful trojans that are much a whole order of magnitude or more more powerful than anything had happened before them, more elusive, more whatever. And, and it, was kind of, it was kind of an interesting this thought that, like, you know, if you build a, well, a, build a weapon, eventually the people who are your enemies will clone it and turn it back on you. And it's like nuclear weapons, right? We create nuclear weapons, and then eventually other countries get them, and then it's like, you know, it's like once you open that box, so you think, oh, we're going to have this weapon, we're going to have this virus that's going to go and do this thing for us. Well, guess what? Eventually, it's turned back on you, or drones, or whatever. And you know, you hear like, you know, like these guys running around talking about cybersecurity, cybersecurity. We need all this funding. It's like, well, you just created Stuxnet, and thereby created Dooku. You created, you're, you're creating your own industry, right? Yeah, but you, I, I can see, and but it's like they're going to do it. They're just going to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's just an example. Like, you got to be careful. You, you, you know, it's like every time you ratchet up, it's like eventually, it's like, you know, it's like you're going to get a fight. You probably don't want to take a bat out and get a fight because if the, if the guy takes it away from you, <laughs> you're screwed, right? At worst, worst case, you might have gotten punched out, but now you're going to get beaten with a bat if you end up losing the fight, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and I just, it was kind of similar to also another thing I was, lo I was looking at. It's like, there's this, this saying that you got to be careful what you, what you do, like the, as a country, externally weapons that use Nars World because they kind of get turned inward eventually. It's like we we're talking about the whole NSA wiretapping stuff, and which is called. It's just also referred to as Operation Stellar Wind because I I just listened to an interview with a guy William Benny, the the, the NSA whistleblower. There was a great um, interview with him on um, Democracy Now. Pretty just it's just just shocking the whole thing, but you know and. You know, they talk about, you remember we were talking about that sock puppeting yeah. thing that they, they, so the Pentagon, and I think it was, uh, might have been the Air Force specifically, but I, they, I also heard some references to CENTCOM that they had um, created some $200 million um, program called Operation Earnest Voice. And, and one part of it was a $2.7 million contract was um, 
uh, to this company called Intrepid, which kind of came out of nowhere. And it's based out of LA. And they, they're creating this persona management programs, this sock puppeting stuff. But it's only going to be used against like these, you know, other countries kind of combating radical Islamic stuff, you know, that kind of, you know, terrorist stuff. Like, oh, don't worry, this would never use Americans because it's totally illegal. Well, it's like that's exactly what Operation Stellar Wind was. That, that Operation Stellar Wind wiretapping the U.S., so on and stuff, is, 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 it violates like five different major laws. It's completely unconstitutional. Mm. So it's like Operation Earnest Voice or some variation on that will at some point be turned inward. These persona management platforms these, you know, fake people, you know, infiltrating and influencing massive social networks on like what should happen. Yeah. And I just I was just kind of drawn. I was just kind of drawn the comparison between those two. And it just happens they're both like operation, you know, X or Operation Y or whatever. And it kind of reminds me of the like the you know, the we were talking about that bird flu it was a H five N one and and they were talking about well we're we they they were kind of they were gonna, like, gonna make it publish a paper on it. Yeah, well, this is actually there. I think the research was being done in um, out of a, of a research institute in um, Holland. Yeah, but they're like made it so that it was it was it could be transferred through the air, human to human. Yeah, like they upgraded a few latch a few notches to go that way. And you and I were like, yeah, that is like a good idea. Yeah, and then right? they were going to release the research work about it, the research papers. Yeah, so like you create that as sort of you know, and, and but you could just see how that kind of stuff could be. You know, you could see like Defense Department or something. Well, we need to develop this stuff because blah blah blah, and then eventually it gets turned. Yeah, turns back on us because it gets you know used whatever. I don't know, man. I just I can see it. Really... I mean, yeah, no, it's 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 good. I mean, I mean you like you're saying it, and I'm I, I don't know how to respond because all I've all I've got to say is, yep, you're right. <laughs> there's not, yeah, there's not too I'm much pretty... to discuss about that. Is but it's it is interesting to hear. I was thinking about writing an article about that about the you know weapons that you use externally to get get used by them on the country, yeah. their first graded weapon or and, and, and weapons or technologies that are, gen, are essentially used against enemies. Then the, 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 the government itself turns it back in on its own citizens. Yeah. You know, like, uh, like the other one with other examples of CIA, you know, is, is, is completely illegal for the CIA to, to really be involved in anything domestic. And, but then they were caught. There was a bunch of articles and the guy, I think I won Pulitzer, a bunch of awards for it, detailing about how the CIA was advising the, N- N- the NYPD um, to how to infiltrate the Occupy Wall Street movements. <laughs> Completely peaceful, domestic, you know, constitutionally protected protests. <laughs> right. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's bad stuff. So, um, but let's on a high note. You said you had a, you had a, <laughs> let's say. Well, well, well I, did, I did have like a get to know a listener section, but you know what? I'm going to bring that uh, up next show because I don't think it should be so, so far into the show. Okay. So I'll finish on one last thing. I'll just uh, any foo update. Yeah. Cool. So the one thing I want to say about any foo is um, we got the, I finally got my arms around the payment stuff that, you know, we finally we had to, we had to end up going and setting up a separate uh, payment service and uh, direct pay in Wells Fargo to get the money, you know, from our account to so Stripe to us, from us to Webmaster Checks, from Webmaster Checks to the uh, the accounts, the bank accounts of the experts. So that finally all went through. I think on like Wednesday. So have we paid anyone yet? I believe so. I haven't heard from anyone uh, if they say that they got their money in the account, but it should have gone out. Probably should have hit their accounts Friday or. Oh. It's Monday at the at the latest. I mean, I would imagine that. Um, I may have paid late in the day. I can't remember what time that the, I actually executed the payment. So, 
Probably Friday. Saturday. So do you have like so, a yeah. cron script that runs every day, or do you manually have to do it? I've manually done it, but I need to sit down and just and just manage it as a cron. I just ran it manually a couple times just to double check that there are no problems. Yeah, but it's it's, it's it works fine. Great, works good, and it and it sends sends us both an email saying you know you better move X dollars into the uh, <laughs> the account. You know. So I guess um, once I've built the uh, the stuff for the signing the document signing then mm-hmm. then we're going to go out on a major recruitment drive yeah yeah and we get we gotta start you know we gotta and i'm gonna finish up the dashboard which allows experts and clients to sort of manage their you know their stuff and you know look at their sessions and update their you know whatever account stuff they have to do and uh yeah i think then we gotta start you know getting some more of these experts up because we have like a dozen people who kind of are really good experts and we just got to get them to complete their profile and mm-hmm. Everything hey, set up. Um, just one one quick thing is like, how is uh, Uber going? And the, your whole Mac thing, have you made any decisions about what you're going to do with your Mac? Yeah, I'm not going to do anything right now. I mean, it, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of manually keep them updated. It's, I don't really. Are you, are just, you back it, online with their whole um, yeah. environment? Yeah, the development environments are, are, are up to speed. So I'm just not really going to sweat it. Um, yeah. I don't want to create any more work for myself than I need to. Okay. But. Um, yeah, it was going well. Yeah, I mean, there was a a little bit of a frustration. I went up there for a few days, and I just was having a nightmare bug that I just, I think I pretty much finished the last couple of days. I still have another version of it that I need to work out. But one thing that's really tricky with um, asynchronous programming, Node.js kind of stuff, is yeah. that it's kind of the problem that you ran into when you switch servers and some things happen faster than they used to, like or slower than they used to. So, yeah. for instance... You know, certain bugs wouldn't occur because, like, an API call would return so fast that it was almost like it was synchronous. It would, there would probably, and you basically, what would happen is that the client or the driver app wouldn't change state before that API, you know, returned. So it's like race conditions. Yeah, I don't know about race condition, but it's just that happens that, like, if 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 your state is changed when you make an API call and and in the circumstances and get back in in, in an API in an API call and the callback causes a state change, but then or depends on a certain state, but then if it's so slow that um, it, when an app sends a message in every you know couple seconds or every second or whatever it changes state that that could screw up, but before it was, it was happening really fast, but I noticed that if the API returns slow and, and ever, and, and in certain cases it would cause all kinds of problems. So, and it was just hard to kind of nail down what was happening. Like state was changing in these random situations. Like, why is this happening? But uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, you know, asynchronous programming is, uh, is just, you know, more challenging than synchronous programming, but I think that probably goes without saying. Mm. So, um, but yeah, things are going well. I think, uh, Sandy, uh, Sandy was up in San Francisco, like I mentioned earlier, uh, for for four or five days for this uh, junior league conference, and uh, she used my account, took an Uber from the airport to the city. And she's oh, like, awesome! Yeah, her uh, she with a friend of her show who rode with her was like, yeah, that was like it's like my new favorite thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah that's kind of cool. But I think that's it. I got to grab some dinner, and you got to go to bed. Yeah, it's uh, what twelve sixteen a.m. over here. Yeah, well. I think uh, it was a kind of crazy show, but uh, that's a wrap. That's what that's what happens when you don't have any links. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. I think it was a good uh, one. But uh, in uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, I have to double check my notes. We have an interview with um, 
with the security expert. So that should be kind of interesting. 25th. It's 10 a.m. Okay, cool. All right. That's a wrap. We're out.